it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. It's Weird Islanders, the podcast. Uh, my name is Dan. My friend Mike can't be with us tonight, unfortunately, but we will soldier on and we have a great guest and we're going to be talking about a, another great Weird Islander and I'm very excited. Uh, if you are a longtime Islanders fan and you remember the Lighthouse Project and the referendum era, you most certainly read the work of our guest. His site, Let There Be Lighthouse, was the go-to source for information and opinions about that very, very kind of fraught and weird time period in Islanders history. I know we linked to him at Lighthouse Hockey. He was definitely linked to Puck Daddy at the time. I'm sure a million other places, too. And uh, he's chosen a great Islander. And, and he's an all-around great guy, and I've known him for a long time. And his name is Nick Gillian. Nick, how are you? Doing well, Dan. Uh, checks in the mail after that intro. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite part of the show is getting to introduce the guests and, and talking them up. Uh, but no, seriously, that that site uh, really meant a lot to us at the time. And that actually that site actually is what led me to Lighthouse Hockey and obviously, you know, getting to be a writer there and everything. Um, you know, you started that when the Lighthouse Project was in its infancy and, and you know, really looked like it was going to reshape not just the Islanders future, but the future of Long Island, too. And you chronicled all of the twists and turns that went on for years. And now here you are, however many years later, and the Islanders actually do have a new arena. I've written before. I I didn't think this was ever going to happen. Did you ever think this was going to happen? And and how do you feel about, you know, UBS arena being an actual reality right now? 
It, it's so funny because I think <laughs> right up until UBS Arena opened, I wasn't a hundred percent sure it was real. Just because it seemed <laughs> like every time it looked like things might happen, it just got derailed. I mean, I think it's just been so interesting to me over the last few years. Obviously, their unfortunate record this season, notwithstanding, just how normal the Islanders have been as a right. team to follow. And there isn't this constant worrying that they're going to move. There isn't this constant drama or any of these weird characters. You know, we're, we're talking about Uncle Leo getting time on the first line instead of are we going to have a team next month? And well, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's pretty – I think I'd take that over over anything else. And, you know, it's very interesting to me because, I mean, I live, um, I live in northern New Jersey now with my wife, two little kids, the oldest of whom just turned three. So between that and the COVID situation, I haven't haven't been able to go out there yet. So I think it's even funnier how, you know, I used to talk about bringing champagne to the first game, and just because of all the craziness <laughs> going around, I haven't even had a chance to go out there yet. So it's it's <laughs> funny how I know intellectually the Islanders have a new arena, and it's going to hit me so differently once it actually happens and once I'm actually yeah there. yeah no I, I feel you I mean I, I got to go uh, earlier this season and. Uh, it really, at that point, felt like even walking in, it wasn't even like a real feeling. It was. It wasn't until I was actually sitting in the seats and was like, "Wow, this is real. This is ours. Like it's crazy." And as Mike said, it's it's almost too good for the Islanders to be honest with you. But uh, uh, I'm I can't wait to hear what you think about it when you finally get out there, and hopefully that is uh, sometime soon. Maybe there's still a lot of games left this season, although I, I can't guarantee the Islanders are going to win it if you do go to that game. Yeah, which is, I, again, the unfortunate reality. Yes, it's very funny that we're talking about uh, a weird islander in the time period that we're in because I feel like I feel like I'm right back to that time right now thinking <laughs> let's see the young kids do well but don't win the game, you know, let's let's yeah. see some progress but let's not cost ourselves too high a draft pick just because at the end of the day at this point uh, the playoffs are over. It, I hate yeah. saying it but unless they basically win out, I don't I don't see the playoffs happening so at this point you're rooting for Dobson to continue what he's been doing. Hopefully Wallstrom can really get his confidence back. Maybe we have something in Kiefer Bellows, and uh, I don't have to keep banging my head against the wall every time Alex Debrinkit does something, but <laughs> either way. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I was explaining to my daughter the other day that, you know, if you're going to lose, it helps to lose a lot, but I don't know if she really kind of got <laughs> the concept of it. But uh, but that's, that's uh, all stuff for another time and for the end of the season. But uh, you mentioned – you're a weird Islander from uh, a very weird time period. And uh, I'm very excited to talk about this particular player because I actually got to watch him play live and interview him. And so without any further ado, Nick Gilia, will you please announce today's weird Islander? Weird Islander is Sergei Nemchinov. Sergei Nemchinov. Uh, this is the late 90s era of Islanders hockey. It, it was bad, folks. It was very, very bad. Um, and this was a time when the Islanders were really looking for any sort of veteran help and any free agent signing was kind of a surprise, I guess. And Nemchinov was a guy who, uh, he signed with the Islanders when he was 34. Uh, he was, <laughs> he had been around and I think most famously was a New York Ranger when they won the Stanley cup. And he came over in 91, 92 from, uh, the Soviet union. And we'll talk about that in a second. We will. Um, and he was 28 years old when he first played for the Rangers in 91, 92. So he was a grown ass man. This was not a kid. This guy knew what he was doing. He played four years with the 
Soviet wings. Uh, he was the captain. He went to world championships and Olympics and all that Olympics, kind of stuff. And, yeah. And this is also the era, too, that, you know, you saw it with the Islanders, too, with Vladimir Malakov, for example, where all these teams are taking flyers on Russian players toward the end yes. of the draft. You know, famously, when the Canucks found a few extra games, Pavel Bure played, so they were able to take him and won a grievance yeah. in order to keep him in the draft. And, and it's funny because that's really a time in, a time in the NHL that we don't have anymore. The, the closest mm. we came is back in 03 when the Panthers tried to say that leap days meant that Alex Ovechkin had actually met the <laughs> cutoff for the 2003 draft and tried to draft him four separate times. <laughs> nice try, Panthers. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know what? Full credit to them. They knew it was nonsense, but they tried. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and yeah, and the Devils, whenever I think of like Russian players of the the you know early nineties that my brain always goes right to the devils with guys like Fatisov and, and Sergei Starkov. Yeah. And uh, they were really at the forefront of that. And of course their, their general manager at the time is running the Islanders now, which is even more strange when I think about it. it, it it's still strange. It's still strange how that continuity happens. And yeah. especially, especially now, you know, I married into a family of devils fans. So at least we can bond <laughs> over with Lamorello and, my mother-in-law doesn't seem to hold it against me too much that kids are being raised Islander fans. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know at this point, that's a, that's a tough choice <laughs> between the Islanders and devils. You know, on one hand, you got, you know, Jack Hughes, Nico, Heeshear, a bunch of other guys. And on the other side, you've got Matt Barzell and, and Ilya Sorokin. So uh, you could go either way, but I think for it's sure. the right thing. For, so, it's worth. <laughs> and it's funny. And it's funny because I picked Sergei Nemchinov for a very weird, very specific reason that is only relevant to me. <laughs> and that is. So back, back in 97, I, I'll, I'll date myself. I don't, I don't care. I was 12 years old. And my mother worked at a company, uh, a financial services company. They had their offices uh, in Bethpage and they had season tickets for all the sports. So they had, we had Islander season tickets. It was the front row, the first row, the 200 section behind the net where the Islanders attacked twice. Uh, it was really mm -hmm. cool. Uh, I was one row behind uh, the infamous Goldie. We don't need to talk about him. But uh, but what was interesting about it is whenever there would be some kind of event with the Islanders, because uh, my mom kind of ran the office and she knew what a fan that I was since, uh, you know, my uncle, her brother really got me into hockey. She would bring me. So I remember in the summer of 97, for example, going to a barbecue in Eisenhower Park with an 18 year old Roberto Luongo who to this <laughs> day has the biggest wrists of any man I've ever encountered in my life. <laughs> But so to set the stage here, the Islanders rented one of those booze cruises around Manhattan Island for season ticket holders right before the 97, 98 season. I like where this is going already. Continue. And <laughs> so I'm there. I'm 12 years old, like dressed horribly because no 12 year old really has a fashion sense. I probably still <laughs> don't uh, in, in my mid to late thirties at this point, but so we go there and Milbury gives this rousing speech about how the team's going to make the playoffs and things are, things are looking up. And I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm just even reflexively crossing my fingers when I'm saying that. But essentially, I sat with Sergei Nemchinov at this dinner and I had no idea it was him. <laughs> so that's the strangest thing. We were at this table with a few players. I, I don't remember who they all were. I know Steve Webb and Mike Huff were at the table. And Steve Webb is the one who's introducing everybody throughout 
I think it was Steve Webb anyway. Yeah, he played 20 games on that team. I have I have the stats up right here. And he was introducing everybody. He introduced this quiet blonde man as Sergey. And I hadn't right. heard about a Sergey playing on the Islanders. And he was pretty soft-spoken, you know, had a big smile on his face the whole time. Probably one of those polite smiles plastered on his face, getting stuck <laughs> with like the, the least eye of the VIPs. But right. and we had this, we had this cruise, and then I guess the Islanders must have sent out a mailer or something to try to start the season. And my mom says, Hey, I found the name of that guy that we were eating. <laughs> His name is Nemnikov. I'm going, the hell is that? Oh. <laughs> have you ever heard of that? Sergei Nemchinov. That's who that was. Uh. <laughs> so, I mean, essentially that's, that's, that's really what it came down to. Sergei Nemchinov won a cup with the Oilers East in 94. Mm. He won a right. cup with the Devils in 2000, and in between, he had dinner with me on a booze cruise around Manhattan. <laughs> I mean, that that to me is better than either of those two cups, if you ask me. So, but uh, that is an amazing was, story. <laughs> absolutely. It was the strangest thing. So that's really what – that's really – and this was such a formative time of my fandom. 92, 93 mm. was my first year as a fan. I guess uh, – I don't know. I guess I had a karmic debt after that, even though – the funny thing is, the funny thing is, I um, probably should have known after David Volk's goal. I was watching mm. down in the basement with my uncle, and I ran upstairs to tell my parents. And then I tripped on the rug and cut my knee on the coffee table. Ooh. I still Jeez. have a scar above my left knee. <laughs> it's obviously migrated up now because I'm a little taller than I was right. uh, at eight years old. But so that's that's my little my fun Jeopardy fact that my favorite sports team has physically scarred me. That's pretty funny. You got to meet David Volek and you got to show him that scar. And like, this it's is your be, fault. It's going to be almost. It's, it would be almost as bad as uh, Forrest Gump showing LBJ his bullet wound at this point. So yeah. let's not let's not do that. But yeah, right. but yeah, that was that was the thing that really that was right. the thing that really I, I thought it was so emblematic of the team in that so many players were traipsing in and out that yeah. Sergey Nemchinov randomly shows up on the Islanders and. Not only did I not know at the time, once it happened, I go, yeah, that's that's kind of that makes sense. Everybody was going in there. Yeah, it, it didn't occur to me until this morning that this is now the sixth episode of this podcast. And this is really the first true Milbury guy that we've talked about. We talked about Kirk Muller a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> but like in that story, yeah, uh, in that story, you know, Muller was already with the team when Milbury was named coach. And then yeah. Mike ends up being the general manager and he ends up trading him. And in, in that story, in the, a very rare occasion for Mike Milbury, he ends up kind of almost being the hero of that story. Like he ends up getting the Islanders a good deal and extricating themselves of this terrible presence that had only, you know, uh, sucked the life out of them over the last few months. So this is the first guy who we're talking about who was signed, coached, and eventually traded by Mike Milbury all in the span of two seasons. Uh, before I go any further, though, th this thing, and you have such a vivid memory of that booze cruise, so maybe you remember this, too. I tried to Google this. didn't really come up. So this was when the Islanders were making their transition from the wavy jersey with the original logo to the darker colored jersey yeah. with the original logo that would eventually become you know synonymous with, like, Michael Pekka, Alexa Yashin, those types of people. Adrian O'Coin. Adrian O'Coin, yeah. Well, yeah, the whole group. Uh, Pietro, Osgood, all those guys. Um, I could have sworn that Nemchinov was the guy who sort of modeled the New Jersey when they introduced it 
at Jones Beach at like a, a beach club or a restaurant there. I, I don't know if I imagine this happening or I, I this actually did happen. I could not find any evidence of this. Are is you this ringing a bell at all? Maybe for you at any point you know, in this. You know what I think? You know what I think happened here? Are you thinking about? Travis Green and Darius Kasparitis staring at each other in bewilderment wearing those jerseys. Well, that's the fishermen. So that yeah. it's definitely not them. But I don't know. I picture Nemchinov in that jersey, like it's, on a beach. You know what? It could be possible. I mean, he might have been there anyway since uh, it sounded yeah. like the only sign with the Islanders because he liked hanging out around Brighton Beach and all yeah. the areas around the city. So <laughs> – it, it's right. definitely it's definitely possible. I have no right. recollection of that. I mean, you, okay. you know, it was pre-internet, and uh, yeah, you know, two, two young kids in COVID have uh, have killed a lot of my memories. But uh, <laughs> tell me about it. Yeah, not all. I don't know. Maybe, not all. Maybe I just made that up in my head. I don't remember. But um, but it's funny because your recollection of him as this sort of very quiet, stoic guy that you were at a table with on this booze cruise <laughs> as a kid actually definitely corresponds with how he was as a person. And, uh, I was going to, I remembered as, so I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. I was actually an intern for the Islanders when Nemchinov was with them. And I, at the time I was writing for the game time program and I got to interview him. My supervisor at the time was a guy named Kerry Guider, who was still with the Islanders. He's yep. Yeah. He's, he's a lifer. Yes. Yeah. He was, uh, my, my supervisor at the time, we were both working under the PR director at the time. He went on to be, uh, Garth Snow's right-hand man. Now he's Lou Morello's right-hand man. Anyway, he's a great guy. We had a lot of fun, uh, doing this. And I, he did like the feature stories and the interviews. And I kind of did the backup stuff with like prospects and like the smaller interviews. And I got to interview Islanders veterans every once in a while. And Nemchina was one of those guys. And, uh, he was a very, very soft-spoken, very kind man. He did, could, didn't have to give me the time of day, but he did. He just talked very, he had a very, very soft voice. And he was like, you know, he's a professional athlete. This guy was like, you know, he was no sort of small man, <laughs> but he had a very soft Ooh. voice. And the big thing that I took away from that was that he loved being near Brighton Beach, which, as you just said, is his business focus. It's a big Russian community there. And he loved playing there and he loved playing for the Rangers because he was near Brighton Beach. He signed with the Islanders so he can stay near Brighton Beach. And I'm, convinced that Mike Bilberry traded him to the devils because that's the only other team that's as close to Brighton beach as any of these other teams. Oh, and so, uh, I, I hope he had a good time there. I don't know if he still hangs out there. Uh, but, I would uh, believe it. I really hope, I really <laughs> hope, you know, those are good. Those Peroshkis were worth it. So yeah. good for him. I mean, that is, yeah, that is really cool. The last, last I heard he was, uh, advising the Turkmenistan national men's hockey team. Oh, wow. So how about that? That is definitely a fun, uh, sequence of words there. I just keep thinking about that John Oliver segment about their leader. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we should, we should pause here, uh, to mention that, you know, we're talking about this at a time when, um, Russia is at war with Ukraine. Uh, this choice was made sort of to do Nemchinov before, uh, this all broke out and, and we decided to keep going, but, uh, you know, we should spare a moment for, the people of Ukraine and, and all the things yeah, that they're going our, through right our now. Our thoughts are with the people of Ukraine and, and all the families that have been negatively impacted by this. It's uh, I, I did tell you uh, when we were chatting right before we recorded how weird it is to be uh, talking about a Russian player whose nickname was Sarge in light of all yeah. this. Uh, but yeah. it really, like, like I said, it 100% came down to the fact that I had dinner with him and had no idea. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. Uh, as I asked him about that nickname actually when I spoke with him, and uh, I forget if it was Kerry Guider or maybe somebody else. It might have been the late Wayne Fleming, I think, who may have told me this. But he was like, you know, his nickname is Sarge. You should ask him about that. I don't know if he was in the army or something like that. And so that was my first question to him: was like, your nickname is Sarge. Why? Why is that? And I was expecting some kind of cool story about him being like, you know, either in the military or maybe him being like a locker room leader. And he's kind of, no, it just turns out that Mike, Mike Keenan called him that one time and it just stuck. And that was it. That's the story. (laughs) So I was like, that's it. He's like, yeah. Like that, you know, and especially now that they, they, all these nicknames are so uncreative, you know, Hey, hey, Anders, how, how, why do people call you Leazy? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They just chop your last name in half and add an S at the end of it, but he was sorry. And then, you know, I was like, boy, I wonder why they call it. And then it occurred to me that his nickname, his name is Sergey. So it's probably just one of those, like if his name was Robert, they would have been called, called him Bob. Like it's just, it's so Sarge, Sergey, whatever. But, uh, but he, he was a very, very nice person. He probably still is a very, very nice person. Uh, English again was, was not his, his first language. And he, you know, talking to me again, a very nervous, 19 or 20 whatever year old kid uh was not the, the best pairing in the world but again he gave me the time and I, I always appreciated that and on the ice um he was a darn good player like he was a guy who could check effectively he could score now one of the things that blew me away when I watched when I looked at his stats was that he scored 30 goals his first year in the NHL which yeah. is the high point <laughs> here he had but again he was 28 like yeah that, that was his prime he probably would have had a few other seasons like that had he come over a little sure. earlier well, had he been exactly. able to come over a little earlier, let's let's call it right. what it was. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, and I mean, especially back then, they were giving out goals like candy. So right. I really, you know, you, you see him almost like you see him almost like the, the role he kind of played on the Islanders was almost like I guess a JG Pajot type of role. Yeah, more than anything else, where he was very defensively sound, but every now and then they'd move him up with Palfi and Reichel, which mm. still amazes me just in the sense of Milbury <laughs> being so famous for making that comment about Euro trash game back in, I think mm. it was the 2010 Olympics. And, and he went so hard for European skill for so mm. long over there and then kind of surrounded them with a bunch of goons. It's, <laughs> it's a, it's a really weird team building strategy, especially considering he seemed to have no respect for how a lot of them played. That's neither here nor there, but I mean, he was, he was definitely toward the tail end of his career. He, 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 had a solid enough year. I mean, he had 29 points in, in 70, excuse me, in 74 games the first the first year in 97, 98. And then the yeah. year after that, he gets traded. But, you know, he had a couple of had a couple of uh, signature moments as an Islander. I would probably say banking the shot off uh, Alexei Gusarov to uh, beat Patrick Waugh on New Year's Eve is probably chief among them. Coffee sends Nemchinov ahead. Sergei Nemchinov put off Forsberg skate. Michael has it back though, feeds the slot, Nemchinov to Palfi, who shoots, but it's blocked by foot. Palfi wheeled it back in front, Nemchinov takes it behind the net, Nemchinov centers, he scores! Nemchinov banked it in, off of either Wah or Gusarov, or so it appears, and the Islanders have cut it to 2-1. to one. I believe it was Gusarov, Howie, unless Wah got his stick out there on it, but that's what happens when your territorial play starts to improve, which is what the Islanders have been doing. They've been in that end of the ice. Nemchinov goes behind, and here moves it, trying to move it to the front of the net. It, I think it caromed off Gusarov, and then possibly off Patrick Wah. And he's... 
among that class of players who wore, I believe he wore the fisherman, the regular jersey with the, you know, the, the fisherman style with the Islander logo, and then the Dark Islanders jersey that we, we associate with the Peter LaViolette team, essentially. Yeah, he never wore the fisherman proper, but yeah, he wore the wavy, what I like to call the wavy gravy jersey, <laughs> and then the uh, the darker one too. But yeah, he had a, I know this, you know, plus, we're not supposed to talk about plus minus, it's sort of the passe step, but man, to be a plus three on the 97-98 Islanders is pretty much, that's a pretty good accomplishment. Brian Berard, a gentleman's minus 32. God. And that's the year after he was the, he won the Calder, and like that was yeah. the thing, was like he, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was pretty brutal. But uh, but Nemchinov was funny because again, like I totally agree with you, and actually that makes a lot of sense. He's you know was sort of a Pajot type, and actually if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of uh, of his hockey reference page, you always get the sort of similarity scores. And guys like Lars Eller are up there. Andrew yeah. Shaw is another one, although Shaw fought a lot more than, yeah. than Nemchinov ever did. Um, and but that's the kind of role that he played. And as I was I was telling this. To my daughter the other day because I was telling her about who you pick when you when you pick this guy I was so excited because I, I wanted to tell all these stories um, and uh, I was like you know he was a good player and he was a good defensive player and the problem was that he's the kind of guy who on a good team is a really important piece and the kind of guy that you know helps you win particularly in the playoffs that was the whole thing you want those guys that are defensively responsible but can chip in a goal every once in a while. On a bad team, you know, playing first or second line minutes, that guy is a little bit out of his element. And you mentioned Robert Reichel and, and Ziggy Palfi before. And, you know, one of the things that made Nemchinov a good signing was that he was versatile. He could play all three forward positions, which was really interesting. And, I mean, he could play eventually, you know, up on a line like that. But that was not his bread and butter, particularly when he signed with the Islanders. And I don't know if he... I, again, I don't. I don't think he signed with the Islanders to play first line minutes. Uh, I think he signed with them because they were, you know, geographically close to a part of New York City that he liked to hang out in. Um, yeah. But it is funny that the Islanders at that point really had a premium on, on guys like that. Like they, you know, they were uh, on a good team. These guys were really, really valuable. And on the Islanders, they were made into first or second line players and were often very much out of their element at that point. Yeah, they were just fish out of water. I mean, when right. think about how much better Claude the Point, for example, became when the Islanders yep. became a playoff team, and his his production might have gone down. But I mean, Claude the Point in terms of playing style was almost Sezikis before there was Sezikis. Obviously, Sezikis right. means so much to the fan base. I'm not comparing that, but hmm. it's the same sort of thing. You know, Claude the Point taking shifts and shifts in the top six versus Claude the Point as a bottom six checking center on a winning hmm. team. That's a world of difference. Yeah, and that's really the thing. I, I, you know, I, I can't really tell to what degree Milbury had that self awareness with guys mm. like Nemchinov because I think the other thing that really interests me is Nemchinov was one of seven free agent signings that summer. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and you know, I and I don't know what that was, especially considering mm. you know the um, the most remarkable thing looking back on that team is that they finished tenth in the conference. <laughs> I, th- I think that's well, the that most was... remarkable thing and maybe it's just because Tampa was so bad and desperate to get Le Cavalier and the Islanders mm. ended up with a not even signing Mike Rupp in that draft Yeah, jeez but you yeah. know it's it's just so interesting that I don't know if I don't know if Milbury was just kind of putting the team together with spit and scotch tape every summer or, or if part of him actually thought because like I said I mean going back to that booze cruise and that whole thing. I had a whole conversation with Milbury that day too. He came up to me and started talking. 
that we we were both getting shrimp at the buffet, and he just turns up and goes, "Hey, Mike!" I'm like, "Hi, I, I'm Nick, and I know." Yeah, and you know, he funny. was he was a fairly personable guy in person, but I don't know if he was just out of his depth, if he was hamstrung by the owners, or if he was the living embodiment hmm. of the Dunning Kruger effect. But you know, <laughs> he goes up there, and he said right at the start of that, "Go, we're ready. We're going to make the playoffs." and I don't know if it was just that the pigs at the trough hadn't decided they weren't interested in winning yet or, mm. or yeah, what. Yeah, I think this was but, before that. But, yeah, it was immediately goes up there and says, you know, we're going to make the playoffs. But he had such an itchy trigger finger. It just never yeah. it just never got there. And, I mean, and Nemchinov, you know, it's what we said. He, he was what he was. And I think, you know, Milbury was trying to uh, – sell uh, the 1998 Islanders fan base that he was 1992 Sergei Nemchinov. <laughs> um, I remember this season very clearly because, again, I, I was an intern at the time there. And this this team actually came as close as anybody did in that sort of dark ages to making the playoffs. This was the year that they traded for Trevor Linden. Yep. He's most definitely going to get an episode of, of this show for sure. And, uh, and they had – some really, really good pieces then. They had Palfi had 87 points at 45 goals. Reichel was was spectacular. He had 65 points that year and 25 goals. Uh, Berard might have been a minus 32, but still had 14 goals and 32 assists for 46 points. That was pretty good. They traded Ka- uh, Kasparaitis for Smolinski. He ended up having 43 points. And then again, they they brought in Linden. Uh, who only, he had 17 points in 25 games, which you know doesn't sound like much, but like that was a huge a huge lift for them uh, for sure. to get Trevor like that. I was going to say the other thing about that team, you know, uh, in the defense too, was that was the year Kenny Johnson really emerged. Yes, for sure. You know, almost, almost like we hope Noah Dobson's doing this year. You know, that was really Kenny Johnson's coming out party. So he has 40 yeah. points and suddenly we're looking and saying, Oh, this kid's, this kid's really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Brian McCabe, who of course got traded uh, at that, you know, for, for Linden, uh, had his his moments, but you know, I guess they must have figured with Janssen they could probably lose uh, McCabe. And then they also had a uh, a young twenty year old defenseman named Zdeno Chara on that team as well. So uh, who was not? Yet. But yeah, they 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 signed. I couldn't believe that they signed seven or eight free agents that year. Wade Flaherty, um, Mark Lawrence was another one. Mike Huff. You mentioned Mike Huff. I, I don't know if he has enough people who remember him to do an episode of this show, but I I remember very clearly. Tom Chorsky was a free agent, I think, that year, who I always remember yes. as a devil. Yes, yes. He was actually just signing autographs at a at a collector's uh, shop near my house the other day, and I almost went over. I couldn't I couldn't make it, but I wanted so, to. <laughs> funny, funny thing again about the about I think this season. I have an Islanders 25th anniversary puck signed by Tom Chorsky. That's awesome. Like it is, that is amazing. somewhere buried in my basement, you know, when <laughs> When my mom sold the house and she made me get all my stuff out of there, it, it's it's somewhere right. down in my basement, but it's it's definitely there. That's really funny. I know that I know the exact puck you're talking about because I have one t- one too. Yeah, that was that, that uh, was also the yeah. year that I inadvertently I think cursed the team because of that whole superstition about not touching the cup. But I was at the 25th ah. anniversary game and the cup went by me and I reached out and touched it. That's funny. I was there. I was at that game. I have a picture of me with the cup. So if you cursed it, so did I. But I, I don't think that really works for us. No. Nah. Yeah, it's, these are these are all things that I remember. It's crazy. <laughs> absolutely, but it was just so funny. And then you know, Nemchinov, especially, you know, it, there was kind of a gasp of life. And then in mm. ninety eight, ninety nine, he's he's back down. He's I think a minus seventeen with eight goals, eight assists. Gets flipped <laughs> to the Devils, 
for a fourth yeah. round pick and then proceeds the right. next year to win another cup. So he's he yeah. he got a cup he got a cup with the Rangers, he got a cup with the Devils, and he got dinner with me with the Islanders. I feel like that's about <laughs> the same. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, he's almost like the perfect New Jersey Devil when you really think about it, what the Devils had become. And and yeah, he was on that that two thousand team that uh, beat Dallas in the cup finals. And he had 10 goals for them that year. Actually, I, another funny thing I read in doing research was that uh, when he got traded to the Devils towards the end of that 98-99 uh, season, they went on to win like 10 straight games or something like that. Like he, yeah. his first 10 games as a Devil, they didn't lose. <laughs> that's a, that's remarkable. It's the, it's the uh, Devil's version of the Urchina anomaly, right? Yes. <laughs> it's the Urchina <laughs> anomaly. And then by 2002, he he I guess he went to the final again with them uh, a year later where they lost. And then in 2002, he retired after playing 68 games, five goals and and five assists for 10 points. And I bet that by that point, he was 38 years old. He'd done basically all you can you can do. Um, the one thing, though, is so we're, we're sitting here joking about how his time with the Islanders was sort of this like dark period in his career in between glory with the Rangers and glory with the Devils. He did spend six games, six entire games as a Vancouver Canuck. The Rangers yeah. had traded him for Russ Cortnell uh, and and who else? Oh, and some and Esatikinen, I think. And then the yeah, who was in his second run with the Rangers, and then Nemchinov and Brian Noonan went to the Canucks, and uh, yep. he actually put together five points, two goals, and three assists in six games for the Canucks. That's pretty good. But again, his heart was back east. Uh, with the Banyas in uh, in Brighton Beach, and I guess he just didn't want to stay with Vancouver. I can it's believe the, that. It's the culinary equivalent of uh, the Puck Soup podcast talking about, you know, he's not going to leave because his stuff is there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's basically what it was. Yeah, I, I can't imagine he moved a, a lot uh, at that point. I don't know if he knew he was going to sign with the Islanders. I, I doubt that. But, uh, you know, I think he, he probably had a, an idea of coming back. But uh, I, I just thought that was kind of funny. But uh, my favorite thing, though, is that uh, or one of my favorite things that I found in doing this research was I found the article from The New York Times after the Islanders signed Nemchinov, which was a day after they had signed Mike Huff. Yep. And, you know, both of these guys are you know very similar defensive players. Huff was coming off of uh, a run with the Panthers where he went to the cup finals with them in 96. And, you know, normally when these guys sign, they have like a big thing trumpeting them and how great they're going to be. So Milbury says in the Times, we're getting a grittier, nastier team together, which is, you know, I guess what he was planning. But then he also has to say there's a premium attached to the price of a free agent. If you want the player, you got to pay the money. So, like, here he is basically announcing his new additions by also saying, I got to pay these guys actual money. And if I didn't, they wouldn't be here. So, like, you know, that's that's a typical sort of Milbury and logic <laughs> of like these guys are here, but. I'm not happy that I have to pay the money. So sorry. For Mike, sure. I mean, that's, happy. it's just so emblematic of back then. And I mean, especially seeing that these like free agents are signing for what's now the league minimum is, right. is so interesting, but you know, it's funny when we talk about Milbury's whole attitude, because I know, I think this is a, as good a time as any. I mean, I, I had this weird recollection of mm. a poem that they made us memorize back when I was in grade school and it's a Shel Silverstein poem called Smart. And I think I'm going to make history on these Lighthouse Hockey podcasts for doing kind of a live poetry suggestion here. But Definitely. I suddenly remembered this, and it's just so Milbury. I won't <laughs> read the whole thing, but we'll talk through it. So the first stanza is, 
my dad gave me one dollar bill because I'm his smartest son. And I swapped it for two shiny quarters because two is more than one. And he keeps going throughout the thing. He trades it for three dimes, four nickels, five pennies. And he, he comes home all triumphant, shows his father what he's done. And his father's soul dies a little inside, which I think both of us can now empathize with. And I think the best part about it, the part that was the most Milbury, is he taught is the narrator talks about how his dad's cheeks got red and he put his head down and he thought he's too proud of me to speak. Yeah. Like, that's he's so Mike Milbury to speechless. a T. Yeah. He's so confident that you turned his dollar into two pennies, <laughs> five pennies that he is speechless. What, and that's what seemed to happen a lot of times because it seemed yeah. like it seemed like these players would just go on down the line, even looking at the trade trees. Cause I mean, Nemchino being a useful player gets flipped for a fourth round pick. I mean, you, you Lou Lamorello finds fourth round picks lying around on his bathroom floor. Right. You know, he couldn't care less about a fourth round pick even now. Yeah. Right. Or, and that know, fourth round pick didn't turn into anybody who was like a player or anything. Right. It was just some I guy. Don't think I think. So. I mean, even yeah. if it, even if it did, they would have been traded. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. Even like Brad Isbister being the uh, the centerpiece of the Robert Reichel trade, and then a few years later he's a throw-in in a trade for Yanni Ninema. <laughs> well, let's talk about Robert Reichel for a second because you brought him up, and, and again, I, I'm fe- he was I think he is a little bit too famous an Islander to be a weird Islander. He's definitely played too many games. Yes. We're already kind of pushing the games limit with uh, Nemchinov here, but this guy Nemchinov is definitely a weird Islander. But um, Reichel was a, was a real coup for for Milbury. He traded Marty McInnes and a, a goalie named Tyrone Garner for him. Yeah. And uh, he came here and, and was fabulous for the Islanders. He combined with Ziggy Palfy. They, they, were, they were a hit right out of the gate. And my favorite thing about Robert Reichel that really nobody remembers is he was on that Czech team that won gold in Nagano. So he, he comes back from – yeah, he comes back. Were you at this game? Like, I was there. He, he came back, and he actually skated around the Coliseum ice – with the gold medal in his first game back. Like they had a little wow. spotlight on him and he had the gold medal. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's really cool. The Islanders have a gold medal winner. And then like a year and a half later or whatever, like you said, they, they traded him to Arizona for Brad Isbister. And now all of a sudden I have to talk myself into Brad Isbister yeah, being and, as good as Robert Wright. And the funny, the funny thing is, so I actually looked it up. Isbister was traded for Ninema. So I was right oh, on okay. that. It was, it was Isbister mm. and Rappi Torres for Ninema and a second oh, round okay. pick. And uh, Milbury took a random Russian player uh, let's see. It was nine spots ahead of David Backus, eleven <laughs> spots ahead of Jimmy Howard. The Islanders was, it, was that Dmitry Nabokov. It was uh, Evgeny Tunic. Oh, okay. That was, that was oh the other God. thing I remember the most about the Milbury era is talking ourselves mm-hmm. into random European yep. players that that the site would talk up because it felt like they had nobody else. So I remember yeah. Uri Kolnick. Was yes. supposed to be the next thing. Yes. Uh, I remember they Christian Kudrak, Christian Kudrak, some guy from Kazakhstan <laughs> who never even came over, named Dmitry Uper. Oh yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. it's just it's just so funny. And I remember you, it's these weird snippets that stay with you. I remember the Islanders website talking about Uper, and it literally said from the people who brought you Uri Kolnick, <laughs> and it's such a self own. It's, yeah, it's it's beautiful what a cell phone it is. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a cell phone before beautiful. cell phones were a thing. <laughs> so but, it's just it's just yeah. very funny just how 
it felt yeah. like half the league was traipsing through the Islanders at that point. And that team, that team had pieces, but they really just didn't, you know, they had too many guys who were being asked to, to play just like Nemchinov. They, they had too many guys being asked to play beyond their abilities. And then when they got sent to better teams, much like Sergei Nemchinov got <laughs> traded to the devils, they end up going on to, to win uh, cups and, and be, you know, the premier team of their era. In fact, a year after that, that trade that sent Nemchinov to the Devils, the Islanders would also trade John Van Beesbrook to the Devils, and he would be on that team that would lose to Colorado in the final. So, again, he's, he's definitely going to be an episode of this show, too. Um, whatever I think, just be- real quick on Milbury Please. deals, uh, the one that always reminds me is, you know, we talked about a little about Kirk Muller. Milbury turns him by all kinds of weird ways into Brian Burrard. Three seasons later, he turns Burrard into Felix Potvan. And then he eventually turns Felix Potvan into like Dave Scatcherd, Kevin Weeks, Bill Muckalt. He turns them into various things. <laughs> like, so it's just, yeah. it's a, got like the trade Kevin trees. We're like a trade forest. You know? Yeah. Kevin Weeks becomes the, gets traded for the pick that became Rafi Torres. Yeah. Scatcherd eventually, I thought, got traded to the Bruins, I want to say. I think so. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it was just so, it was because he just had such an itchy trigger finger. You know, he right. could never, he always, he felt those two, he felt that dollar bill burning in his pocket. He was like, got to get two yep. quarters for this. Got to get two quarters for this. <laughs> it was, it, it's really what it seemed like. I mean, Mike Milbury, I think what's also funny is you see these GMs now who want you to believe that their job is so hard and trades are impossible. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, right. we saw like the Russell Wilson trade got announced today in the NFL yeah. and thinking, you know, these are the kind of trades that just are, are not often done in the NHL, mm. but like you always hear that cliche when the, when the GM has their media availability around the trade deadline of, you know, well, I really like our team right now and I don't want to disrupt the room. Don't want to make a move for the sake of making a move. Mike Milbury was the king of making a move for the sake of making a move. <laughs> it, it, yeah. was, it was almost like, it was almost like he had a calendar or, or some timer in his office. It was like days since last trade and he got itchy when it got past like two yeah. weeks. Yeah. I, uh, I once like like added up all of his trades and I can't remember what the exact number was, but I figured out that he basically made a trade a month for his entire tenure with the Islanders. Like obviously there were some months that went by with no trades, but then he would make, you know, three trades in a month and they would all kind of average out. And like I can't even imagine a GM these days having that kind of record. Now again, most of these trades did not work out in the Islanders' favor, but yeah, he did not care one whit about disrupting any rooms or anything like that. And, you know, I don't want to say you got to give him credit for that because again, this team sucked. And as I've said a lot of times too, like that, that ownership of that era was not helping Mike at all. And in fairness to him, like, you know, they, they probably might've been, uh, you know, kind of on his case to get rid of some of these guys cause they were getting paid too much or wanted to get paid too much. But that being said, uh, yeah, a lot of those trades did not work out in his favor, no matter how how high the volume was. Uh, well, for sure. First- you also think about, I mean, this is why that, that Shel Silverstein poem really just screamed Milbury to me, because the other thing that amazed me, I think we were talking about this when it came out, is that article Kevin Kurz put out about the, the Yashin trade and yeah. how Milbury 21 years later is still angry that the owners wouldn't let him make a terrible trade for Jason Allison. It's unbelievable. Like <laughs> you, you wouldn't let me make that terrible trade and I'm still pissed about it 21 years yeah. later. 
I mean, if people out there thought that the Yashin trade was bad, imagine trading Char for Jason Allison. Like, within three years, Allison was out of the league. He was done. Yeah, like, Yashin was, was at least productive for the most part. But Yeah, there was an injury. There was an injury, I think, yeah. there with Allison. I think it was his arm or something, something that, that wow. became debilitating or his back. Hmm. But, but yeah, I mean, and, and that's one of those weird things. I mean, I'm, uh, this is that weird mental space we also operate as fans. And maybe I'll, <laughs> maybe people will disagree with this. They're free to. I, I'm one of those people who doesn't think that the Yashin deal was as bad on the day it was made as it turned out to be. Oh, oh no, I agree with you 100%. Absolutely. You know, just in the sense of you didn't, I mean, nobody knew that Chara would be a first ballot Hall of Famer at the time. And if mm. you did, you're probably Zidane Chara. And hi, Zidane, how are you? <laughs> you right. know, it's, it's really, you know, he, he seemed good. I remember being surprised when they did, used to do those Islanders team skills competitions when, I, when he, he won the hardest shot for the first time. And we'll go, whoa, he, sh- he can shoot the puck that fast? Yeah. But it, nobody, nobody saw him those first few years as an Islander because, I mean, he played – almost 250 games as an Islander before that trade, yeah. I think, right? No one would have seen that and thought first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, no. and it's that one to me, that one to me is is one of those things where it's, it's there's always that deal that's terrible the second it was made and that deal that turns out to be terrible. And to me, that's one, that's one that turned out to be terrible. Yeah, And, and they I, have I agree. to be put in different buckets. And unfortunately, the man making them is terrible. So it's, <laughs> it's hard to separate. And, and that's yeah. what we mean. Like the, the owners definitely forced Milbury to do a lot of that stuff. But I mean, still being mad, he couldn't make a bad trade two decades later. And all those <laughs> stupid shock jock comments he would make to try to get himself attention once he started yeah. going on TV. I mean, it doesn't it's not a point in his favor, you know? Yeah, definitely. But but that's what makes moves like signing Sergey Nemchinov kind of stick out because, again, on the surface, this dude was a good player. Like he he knew what he was doing. This was not some bum that that he just brought in just to to fill space on the team. Like this guy was pretty good. And unfortunately, he was almost, you know, too good for the Islanders, but at the same time, they were so bad that he ended up playing more than than he probably should have and uh it just never ended up it, it was never going to be like a long-term thing, no. I don't think. And and in a way, I'm I'm kind of glad he got traded and, and finished his career with a really good team because he seemed to deserve it. People love this guy. He's, he's again, a very soft-spoken guy and seemed to really be beloved by his teammates. And and I was actually kind of happy for him that he got to play for a good team again. Yeah, that was that was one of those no-ill-will trades for sure where it was yeah, going, yeah, definitely. okay, that makes sense. Have fun. Go win a cup. Uh, yeah. Just this respected veteran. And, and it wasn't his fault. I mean, I'm sure right. part of it really was he wanted to stay around Brooklyn because he liked it. He felt comfortable. And I mean, you have to think yeah. too about what kind of a headspace he was in. I mean, coming over essentially right after the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Yeah. You know, this is a guy kind of growing up in a closed society. So coming over here and finding a very thriving Russian community where he could mm. speak Russian, I mean, I'd be surprised if somebody like that wouldn't gravitate toward that and want want it close to them at all times. Yeah. Yeah, I can't really definitely. say I can't really say I blame him, but at the end of the day, for the Islanders, you know, Nemchinov was—I uh, don't even say he was the right player at the wrong time. He was almost the wrong player at the wrong time because <laughs> just because just because he didn't he didn't offer yeah. what this team needed, and it's not his fault, right? 
It's it, not he was the wrong fault. player at the wrong time, but it wasn't his fault at all. Definitely. Yeah, the wrong player at the wrong time, but just not his fault at all because there just wasn't there weren't enough people. I mean, the other the other interesting thing about the 97-98 team, because he had such an unremarkable season, it was also Marius Tchaikovsky's first year as an Islander. That's right. And, you know, I think, and it's funny because I, because it's funny because, I mean, you talk about Nemchinov being versatile, et cetera, you know, it's, it's also funny looking at players like Tchaikovsky, for example, who would score a lot of goals on really bad teams and then was much less productive once the team got good. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's so fascinating to, to see who those players are. Like there are some players, and, and mm. I'm not saying that to insult them. They can obviously all skate circles around me. But uh, it's just so fascinating to see, like, who are those players who thrive being the big fish on the bad team? Those yeah. players who are better, you know, somebody like a Pajot, uh, again, because yeah. I thought he was a good comparison for Nemchinov. Somebody like a J.G. Pajot who comes in here and is expected to be a third-line center with some power play and penalty kill time on a good team. Well, that's a lot different than saying, you know, he's our second-line center. Right. Yeah, he's our second line center and expected to carry the offensive load. That's not who he is. So mm-hmm. it's it's just fascinating how different players can step up in different scenarios and different players different players come in in different scenarios. And I mean, I think the other thing that's really funny. I mean, I think the turmoil around the team definitely it definitely didn't help with Milbury constantly, you know, looking for constantly bringing home his two shiny quarters because two is more than one. <laughs> And it's it's just so funny because I never bought into that until Lou and, and Barry came in and suddenly the same team that gave up the most goals in the Cap era is winning the Jennings Trophy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, we that's never, another thing too is, yeah. I mean, you know, we always, joked the about real, we always joked about real NHL coaches and, and all these other things. Because, I mean, the other funny thing about that too is that the, the the head coach for the first part, I believe, of the 97-98 season is uh, still around. It's Rick Bonus. Yep. Oh, yeah. And and the coach of the last part. So, yeah, Bonus started. He got fired. And the late, by Milbury. Uh, and then – And I believe the uh, – was it the late Brad McCrimmon as well? I believe he was an assistant coach on that team too. Yeah. Um, Brad McCrimmon, yeah. who I believe – I mean, he was, he was on the – Yaroslavl team, unfortunately, back in yes, yeah, along with our old friend Joseph Wozniak. Uh, but yeah, I mean that just looking at that. I mean, Gordy Clark, Wayne Fleming was yeah. an assistant on that team. Yeah, Wayne Fleming also the late Wayne Fleming was definitely on because I again I, I spoke with him. But uh, Milbury fired himself halfway through that second season, that's right, ninety eight ninety nine season, and replaced himself with Bill Stewart. Bill Stewart who was the guy who would say would go on to lose a game to the Rangers and be like, well, of course we lost. Have you seen our roster? <laughs> That was the last time anybody saw Bill Stewart near an uh, NHL. The other other thing that I always remember about Bill Stewart was I don't remember if if Stan actually went there, but Mm. it was when the Milsteins bid $800 million to buy the Washington football team. Mm. And there, and there was of course that outcry that these, the the pigs at the trough as as Tom Galata called them there was that whole outcry of saying like, wait, these guys don't want to spend money, but they have $800 million to buy a football team. <laughs> and I remember, yes. and I remember someone tried to ask, ask them, you know, how do you square, how do you square coming up with all this money when you won't spend on the Islanders? What do you have to say to Islander fans? Like, well, hmm. you know, we think Stewie's doing a great job. Boom, keeps going. 
Yeah. So that's fine. It, it's just <laughs> it's just unbelievable. You know the twists and turns. Yeah. I mean this this is it's just so fascinating. And I mean especially starting the conversation about UBS Arena and this yeah. team really having a home and it's a legit home. I mean that that right. thing is stunning. You know, imagine the island is playing in a billion dollar arena back in these mm. days. I mean, could you imagine if we if we just you know stepped into a wormhole and the two of us <laughs> ended up at the Coliseum? that day and got to yeah. tell our past selves that the Islanders would be playing in a billion dollar arena and right. would be, you know, would be, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's too bold to say would be a couple of bounces and a couple of uh, unfortunate overtimes away from two straight cups, potentially. <laughs> I don't, it is, it is definitely a different time. And yeah. It's, it's not definitely the time a that, different time. Yeah. I mean, to think, to think that, that all that happened, I mean, especially, I mean, this team was founded out of spite, to begin right. with, as we all know, and just to, all the ways this team shouldn't have existed and shouldn't have mm. stayed, and how this team just kept surviving despite, you know, sur- despite <laughs> first line Sergei Nemchinov, most first line 35 year old Sergei Nemchinov, let's be precise right. there, or the pigs at the trough or, or anything else. The fact that, the fact that there's still a fan base, the fact that there's a legit, long time home. I mean, it's, it's as shocking as it is beautiful. It is definitely. This has been a great time. And I think that's the perfect way to end it, to come full circle Absolutely. from, yeah. First line circuit of to, to, uh, to UBS arena. So this has been great. Uh, Nick Giglio, where can people find your, uh, you right now? I mean, you are on Twitter, so I, guess, I mean, uh, I'm, let everybody I'm, know on your Twitter. Twitter, I'm on Twitter. I don't, uh, I don't know if too many people would appreciate some of the things I say these days just because <laughs> I, I definitely, uh, I have some opinions about, uh, I have some opinions <laughs> about current events, but, um, you know, I, my handle at this point is uh, BU Islander is a proud Boston university alum. And, uh, you know, I am, I am still retired from blogging. Uh, it's, it's actually funny that how things bookended so nicely because I kind of always thought I was going to leave. When after the referendum happened, mm. and I think I knew the week before because I yeah. I had um I had a busy day in the city and I didn't want to be late in terms of uh, in terms of reacting to the news. So I did something I'd never done before, and I'm sure plenty of real journalists do this every day. <laughs> but I wrote two pieces: one if the referendum passed, and one if the referendum failed, and the thing that really stuck out for me at the time, and I, I texted someone who had been involved with me at the time, at, at the time, and I said, "I'm starting to realize that I don't think this is going to succeed." And 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 what it really was is that it was easier to write the it failed piece. Yeah. And and once I realized that it was easier for me to explain why it would why it failed <laughs> than why it would pass, that you start realizing that maybe, maybe things aren't going to go that way. And I always thought I was going to retire. You know, I was, uh, it was definitely taking a lot of time. I was, I was working a lot at the time as a, as an independent consultant before I went back to, uh, to kind of working full time, which I've been doing for a while now. And, uh, you know, the other funny thing is that, uh, you know, about six weeks after that, I had uh, my first date with my now wife. <laughs> so it's just very wow. funny how it's like those two very yeah. distinct chapters of life happened. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, still, still thrilled to follow the team, still 
so happy that still happy to be such a small part of, of everything that happened, but you know, it's uh that's really what it is. So uh, happy. I would love to hear what people thought of the episode. And uh, Dan, I'm, I'm just so grateful to you for having me. Oh, no, this has been great. And uh, you were one of the first people I had on the list. And uh, yeah, no, I mean, that again, I can't say it enough like that. That site meant a lot to us back then. And it was a way to keep up with this kind of stuff, because this was a huge, a huge time for the Islanders. And, you know, yeah, OK, the referendum failed and, and you know, it led to another however many 10 years of, uh, of, you know, never knowing where the team is going to be the next year. But, uh, but that was an important part. And I feel like, you know, the, let there be lighthouse is very similar to my John Tavares free agency encyclopedia. Like these mm-hmm. are, these are kind of weird times for the fan base that if you went back and talked to somebody and told somebody about it, who wasn't there or didn't know, like to, to explain it, is almost doing, it's hard to do it justice. <laughs> like it's hard to be like, well, yeah, you know, they, they, they tried to get a new Coliseum and they had a referendum and, you know, didn't get enough votes. Like that's, that's the short version, but like there's so much more involved there as you know, and the same with like, well, John Tavares played for them for a while, became a free agent and they left like, yeah, but there's a lot more going on there. And so, you know, it takes like crazy fans like us to chronicle this stuff. And, and, you know, and I think, you know, again, people say to me all the time, yeah, I read it and I appreciate it. So, I mean, this is my way of telling you that I read that site and appreciate it. (laughs) I appreciate that. And I, it was was my pleasure to write it, even though some of the articles were less pleasurable than others. And, you know, all of that because all of that, because I got banned from commenting on Chris Botto's blog. (laughs) So, and I, and I just started thinking, you know, Hey, if, if I have something to say, maybe I should just go say it. And yeah, right. it was a very weird time. You know, I know I've, I, I, I wish I had the time and the attention span. I've definitely kicked around the idea of writing a book, but I don't, yeah. I don't even know what the, what the point of it would be. Honestly, <laughs> just because we all kind of know how it ends. And, and I don't yeah. like, I know, I know some things that I didn't write, but I'm, I never knew if it was interesting enough. Yeah. Well, if you wrote the book, I would buy a copy of the book because mm-hmm. I know I want to know the story. <laughs> uh, but uh, writing a book is hard, so I'm not going sure. to I mean, say anything more than that. It was what I will say <laughs> is, I mean, I think for for want of a nail, the kingdom was lost. I think that you know there was, you know, maybe I'll save it for for a future comment, etc. But there there was definitely yeah. one moment that I think turned the entire lighthouse process, and we never thought it was at the time. So it, it's very very interesting how those sorts of things happen. I mean, much. Similar to the way I think it was the uh, 2000-2001 season where I think uh, Kenny Johnson had a hideous giveaway in the neutral zone that uh, ended an Islanders winning streak and basically tanked the season after that. <laughs> it's a butterfly flecked Islanders, Islanders yes, version. One thing. I, I impressed my European history teacher at the time at uh, Kellenberg High School who was uh, – <laughs> by the way, I got a kick out of Mike saying that he used to park, uh, park at Kellenberg and walk over because uh, – <laughs> I, I think they want to retroactively try to have him towed for that. Uh, it was, <laughs> they, uh, they tried to, I mean, they called, they used to call the cops on us because they, uh, they closed the parking lot uh, when we were supposed to be, uh, you know, rising seniors and the seniors were gone and mm. we were supposed to be able to park. They wouldn't let us. So we parked at the, uh, we parked <laughs> at the AP Plaza and walked across the street. But, uh, yeah. Oh my God. So many memories. <laughs> it really was. It's, but, uh, it's, it's a yeah. time that will never be repeated. Like being able to just no. walk over from Kellenberg, get like a $10 student ticket, watch the game. It's, it's yeah. never, I feel like that's an experience that my kids are never going to have. 
hmm. regardless, just because of, you know, where even the devils are relative to where we live, not even the Islanders. So it's, hmm. it was definitely, I mean, that team was such a point in time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's time for them to make their own memories, hopefully at some point, and, and hopefully you will get out to UBS and, uh, have a good time it's it's definitely something to take in and again i'm, I'm interested to hear your perspective of it once you see it all done Absolutely. Uh, but this has been fantastic thank you so much nick for coming on uh thanks to everybody for listening mike and i'll be back with another anxiety in a couple of days and uh follow nick at bu islander he's a great guy like i said and a, and a, a very a vocal islanders fan and uh until next time keep the islanders weird all right we'll talk to you later Bye bye